0: Welcome to episode number six of the EAIE Podcast. This series is brought to you by the European Association for International Education and aims to showcase short, wide-ranging conversations of interest to international higher education professionals across Europe and beyond. I'm Laura Rumbly, and I really appreciate your taking the time to listen in. In this episode, we're joined by David Julian, Secretary General of the Inter-American Organization of Higher Education, known also by its English language acronym, IOHE. IOHE is a 40-year-old association of higher education institutions that spans North and South America, as well as Central America and the Caribbean. The organization is headquartered in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and operates in English, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. As with many associations, IOHE works to offer its members access to a range of learning activities, professional development resources, and networking opportunities. IOHE ultimately seeks to foster collaboration across the region and encourage positive social change in the societies in which its members operate. It's always interesting to speak with colleagues who can offer some very wide angle perspectives on what's happening in key world regions. And David Julian is certainly ideally suited to give us this kind of insight from and on the Americas, especially in relation to Latin America. Just as we are in Europe, our colleagues across the Americas are dealing with significant new challenges and opportunities in light of the coronavirus pandemic, as you'll hear in our discussion. Thank you so much, David, for taking time out of your really busy schedule to talk with us and give us a bit of an update and flavor for what's happening in higher education in Latin America and North America as well. Um, I wonder if you could give us a bit of an overview for the Inter-American Organization for Higher Education, for those who might not know so much about it. What's the origin story for IOHE and what does it aspire to do?
1: Yeah, so IOHE is, I mean, the name pretty much itself explains it, Inter-American Organization for Higher Education. So we're a network of universities and colleges. Uh, now grouping approximately 400 institutions of higher education across 28 countries of the Americas. Uh, We're based now, I'm talking to you today from Montreal in the province of Quebec, Canada, Uh, and that's where our secretariat and head office is, but it's it's a network of institutions all across the continent, and, and we work in that Uh, continental perspective, a bit like EAIE does for for Europe, but we we work more on an institutional membership uh, perspective rather than a personal one. Uh, So so we basically work with those institutions. And in in terms of the origin, we're actually celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. So it all started uh, in Quebec here uh, back in 1979, where uh, a university president, of in Quebec, here was quite, you know, aware of what was going on in terms of, of uh, networks being established and working in different areas of the world. Some being in the North American side of things with ACE and others some were with within Latin America only. Others were across the America, North America and Europe or uh, Asia. But uh, he felt that in in order to echo what was also happening. Uh, at the political level with with like the uh, European Parliament on one side and here on our side, the Organization of the American States, OAS, this idea came up to create a network that would work on that uh, north-south continental perspective. So basically all the way from northern Canada down to Patagonia, but basically including all countries, including the Caribbean and, and so on. So that's a little bit where... It happened, and it it quickly allowed us to establish that that concrete partnership with the OAS. Uh, so so we're acting as if I may say the voice of the Americas. We're being invited as observers to uh, the Conference of Ministers of Education at the OAS and and, and other working groups on on education, uh, workforce development, and and, and so on. Uh, so so that's a bit uh, about the the origin. And and now, I mean, 40 years later, it's a, it's a pretty consolidated network, I, I would say. And uh, we're excited to work in, in this uh, great region, which uh, of course comes with it, it lots of uh, challenges like any other, but uh, it's an exciting region.
0: Fantastic, that's actually very helpful and interesting to know that IOHE predates EAIE by 10 years. Um, so an, an older sibling in the, the uh, community of associations and networks. Uh, very interesting. So fast forwarding now 40 years, um, to say the very least, 2020 has presented higher education with unprecedented challenges and unexpected developments. Yeah. In response to this, one of the major buzzwords for the year has certainly been agility. And I was wondering what agility means to you at the moment and to your colleagues across the, America, the Americas with whom I know you're in really close contact and really watching mm-hmm. all kinds of developments and, and reactions to current events.
1: Yeah uh i i guess I'll, I'll touch on two issues here one more internally with, with how we have been operated from from like hq and, and, and our office and then talking about our, our our members in the region per se uh coincidentally we we just got at the end of last year uh some help for, to to have a like a concrete uh, uh diagnostic of our organizational structure and we were looking at improving the way we were operating, being more efficient and so on. And basically what what, what the guys that worked with us said was we needed to do two things simultaneously. One was to reinforce our head, uh, secretariat and the way we were operating by centralizing certain aspects of our work, but at the same time, multiplying the opportunities we had to with uh, our extended membership for them to play a role in assisting in specific projects and moving away we we had some kind of a you know a, a structure that was helpful in some ways. We were trying to engage uh, key institutions in hosting our programs with a permanent seat and, and, and an executive direction and so on. but we felt that as as much as there were a great will from specific institutions to play that role depending of of momentum and and, and timing. And I guess now the crisis just just showed it even more. Uh, Institutions keep their own priorities; they have their own agenda, and the time that they can commit to external projects will independently vary. So, so you could have highs and lows, but it's tough from a permanent office to, you know, work through those high and lows. It's great when there's high activity and you're leading up to a a conference or whatever. But in those lowing parts where you need constancy and permanent actions. Of course, it it, it was a bit tougher. So we're trying to get more agile uh, to work in a loose structure where we we can coordinate, like we can ensure quality control from from, uh, head office. We can uh, liaise with uh, different teams. We can guarantee we we coordinate certain processes that are uh, replicating in, in each project, but at the same time, not, limiting our options to work with one specific institution on one specific role so in that way i guess uh, we kind of accelerated the, that that kind of uh, transition because uh, i guess many institutions have been have been affected by their own capacity to you know work internally with their priorities and keep some kind of an external agenda so that's a, a first uh, common and and then in terms of of um, practices and what i've seen in the in the region uh one thing that struck me and it's funny because i i mean mean, we're based here in in canada working with local institutions colleges and universities and we also work a lot with latin america i guess 80 or 85 percent of the membership is in latin america and one thing i've seen is that the rigidity of the structure the administrative and, and and even sometimes legal framework of universities and colleges. We know, I mean, and we we we've been saying that in so many forums. Universities are not known for their versatility or for their capacity to really move quickly and react to, to to new challenges. And I was quite positively surprised to see that our Latin American friends were maybe more agile and 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 jumping on these opportunities to say, well, you know what? Here's an opportunity. We've never did it. Let's pilot something, and then we'll see how we can how the system can follow this will of doing something new or, or creative while same opportunity was seen here with, with colleagues in Canada per se and I'm sure you, you're experiencing stuff similarly in, in Europe where they say okay yes great opportunity I'd like to start working with that approach but I don't have the the way to do it it, it will be stopped at uh, I don't know that kind of office or the uh, or legal will jump in and say we cannot do that and so on and so on like all those virtual opportunities for, for example that we're not there were no, you know, it was a, a minefield full of surprises and, 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 and there was a bit of uncertainty. So that kind of a capacity to deal with the uncertainty and the ambiguity and to avoid that unknown and just jump in what was kind of a great to see from, from, from that region.
0: So it is really true what you say. I know that, you know, talking with colleagues from many different parts of Europe, this um, variance in experience with agility, you know, that some institutions feeling like they were really able to pivot, others feeling a little more... um, constrained by you know particular sets of circumstances and mm-hmm. also depending on your perspective within an institution, even some different feelings about what's going on and who's being more agile and who's holding the show back, um, there have been really different really interesting conversations I think about those dynamics and fascinating to see you know that variation across the Americas from your perspective. I also like the discussion that you have around um, agility at the association level. So as you know, we all at the EAIE just had our first ever community exchange event, our first ever fully online event, and I know you and IOHE were very active in that. Um, That event was organized around this theme of forging creative pathways, um, which seemed like an interesting theme to establish a year ago and was even more interesting uh, under the current circumstances we're all working so hard to rise to these new situations around us and to learn from one another. And in that spirit, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share some specific examples of particularly creative initiatives or efforts in higher education within or across the Americas that showcase innovative responses to current challenges.
1: Yes. uh, I guess for us, what has been more uh, significant, or the most significant, has been what we we set up, uh, what we call our virtual uh, space for uh, mobility, or virtual. It's I'll say it in Spanish and then I'll translate. Espacio de movilidad virtual en educación superior. So the virtual space uh, for uh, mobility and higher education, basically. And it's funny because it, it's a pilot we had been running for two years. It's actually in Colombia uh, that, that it started. And the Colombians were concerned about I mean, we always talk about the, the dramatic low rate of outbound mobility in, in many countries, especially in Europe, Canada, US, Australia, where lands that receive quite a lot of international students, but unfortunately don't send that much. Maybe it's different with, in Europe with Erasmus and so on, but still something in Canada. I think the stats is below 2% of outbound uh, mobility. And Colombians were concerned for access and uh, uh, availability of international uh, experiences, but in a different perspective. Many were saying that, you know, if you're outside, you know, your country capital, uh, if you're not, let's say, a, a university or a college that will trigger the highest or the most privileged students in terms of socioeconomic development, wealth of family and capacity to support the study abroad experience, many institutions were saying, look, David, what can we do? We'll never have those, that type of profile of students that will, you know, jump in an airplane and go for a full semester abroad. So how can we actually increase the opportunities we can provide to them? And they started looking at virtual mobility as a scenario to open so basically what we've done with them, we had 10 Colombian universities working with one in Mexico, one in Argentina, one in Brazil, one in Ecuador. And they started, you know, sending with brackets their, their students abroad, but just with online courses. So we basically defined uh, the framework. We were working on that for two years. And then the COVID crisis came. And and to be quite honest, and, and, and to give... Uh, what if faut rendre à César ce qui appartient à César in French. So we have to give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. The Colombians were insisting for us uh, at, at, at the headquarters to launch that pilot with full steam ahead with all the region, and we said, yeah, well, just, let's just wait for the right timing and so on. And then the crisis came, and, and we felt that we had that validated methodology within our, our hands, and it was a huge potential to launch. So we've been launching that. Uh, the, the e-movies initiative and, and, and we've been so impressed with the results. After only three or four months we basically have 71 institutions that, that signed in from 12 different countries and we have more than 3,500 courses in a pool of online courses where basically one institution can come in, they will upload five eight ten of the their online courses and they they'll specify the number of seats they have on each of those courses and in exchange for the 10 or 15 seats that they make available to the pool they have the capacity to receive students they can send the same number of their students to register in all of those uh partners so and the idea is go with a a mutual reciprocity principle so there's no you know, financial transaction required or registration because you just share, you know, a a seat, Uh, you you, you open a seat and you take a seat somewhere else without necessarily having your student to fully register. So there's a couple of shortcuts. I I won't get into the technical and admin details here, but, uh, and that's something, it it combines agility that you, you were talking about, but it also combined creativity because this was something that was not existing at a large scale and that so rapidly we managed to get a very significant number of, of courses. And basically, although uh, we are in a year where, I mean, we're definitely cutting on budget and, and everyone is kind of struggling to you know, make, make things happen, we've seen an increase in terms of new institutions wanting to join the network because they felt that really was a, 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 something concrete that they could they, they, they couldn't find elsewhere. So, I mean, for us, it has been an interesting, discussion as well, because when, when the crisis started, yes, we could set up a couple of webinars and so on, but what else? I mean, our face-to-face conferences were falling apart in difference with institutions that have both domestic and international, we're only international. So I guess you, you were having similar discussions internally. What, what, what's my purpose if, if I only do international and then everyone is, is, is stuck at home? So uh, that's been, uh, I guess, our, our, our main response and again, uh, just impressed with, with the with the pace and the, the the capacity to react quickly uh we got three different rounds so we move from 10 12 institutions of the first round then 25 then 50 and now 71 so and, and i just see a, a huge potential to 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 hit 100 by by next year for example so uh definitely something that that we keep exploring and we do that now internally so it's within the membership so within the americas but of course, I was talking with uh, China last week. We, we've talked with Lusophone countries in Africa, Mozambique, and so on that were interested to do stuff with Brazil using the same methodology. I'm sure discussions could happen with Europe, also kind of exploring these these mechanisms because now, I mean, it's it, there's no more boundaries in terms of, you know, uh, time, distance, travel, budget. Uh, so for for I mean, some could there there are some risks and you need to you know ensure that the, the validity of the entire process but there's definitely some new windows that are opening and and we need to be creative in in order to to fill these uh, these gaps
0: that is super exciting and i think it could be a really interesting model for lots of different regions to look at and as you say what a wonderful thing to have had this you know original kernel of a, a project being undertaken and being slowly built up over time and then having a door open on a massive opportunity to try and scale it up and do more with it. So really interesting. Um, Can I ask you, David, um, in relation to that very important topic of uh, virtual experience, online learning and engagement, um, are there concerns being discussed around the the access and equity side of that story. It's something that's come up quite a bit here in conversations in the European context about you know whether or not the the digital revolution is really a, a democratic revolution um, to the full extent that everyone might wish it to be. And I, I don't know if that's something that's being discussed um, within the IOHE community.
1: Yeah, most of, I mean, uh, it's funny because it's, it's, I would say it's the same discussion, but it shifted uh, in terms of, what, 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 when we define access or availability of higher ed, then the issue is not necessarily having access to the university or the, your college in wherever your community is. Now that we're going virtual, there's tons of conversation that, and you can imagine Latin America with countries with you know indigenous communities, remote rural areas in the Andean uh, countries, I'm thinking Bolivia or uh, some parts of Central America, uh, languages, of course, remain uh, an issue where some countries have eighty percent of the population speaking a native uh, language and not necessarily Spanish or, or, or the official uh, language. So that, that, that's how the discussion shifted. So yes, uh, we can respond to the transition and go virtual or digital with part of the the, the learning opportunities, but. What if you don't even have a, a good internet access? So, uh, and, and that's where leaders from institutions are also engaged. And that's something, some things that we are facilitating. I was mentioning our role with the OAS and so on with, with public policy. Uh, some governments now are, are not only changing the, 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 the policy in terms of how they can support institutions, but also how they can directly support uh, students or learners with providing like a, a tablet or uh, free um, keys for internet connections because it, it, it's just not simply available so if you're talking about access yes uh, it can remain free it can remain uh, open and available online but what about your internet access which is a priority in some zones although you might be connected you remember that, that old kind of uh, fax uh, <laughs> yeah. connection i mean if you don't have a high speed internet access like just it's a nightmare to try to think uh, logging to zoom or or, or 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 some kind of a you know heavy bandwidth uh platform uh, it, it just doesn't work so so that's i guess where where the most of the conversation shifted
0: Okay, very good. And that actually leads me into the next question that I wanted to ask you, you know, which has to do with the public good and doing right by you know, the, the stakeholders that um, rely on us. You and I had a chance to chat in advance of this discussion about some trends and issues that have caught our attention. And one of the details we both mentioned being struck by this year was the desperate need for, and some really wonderful examples of solidarity at um, a moment of great uncertainty and frankly, really great suffering by many. I know that's an issue that really resonates with you, and that's something that's kind of deeply embedded into the DNA, certainly of higher education in Latin America. But I was wondering how you see this issue of solidarity playing out right now across the Americas. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, well, I've seen it at, at, at the personal level people being like personally engaged and, and feeling that they, they needed to, you know, to, to, to act and, and, and share. I mean, I remember when. I guess we were still only in April and, and we were kind of wondering what, what we were going to do at IOHE, We've been doing webinars for years, at least five years. And, and I remember struggling promoting and recruiting and ending up having like 25 people logging into a webinar. And I was like, what, I think you actually moderated one of ours uh, with, with, you know, li- limited impact and now all of a, a, And the work we needed to find the speakers, get them convinced and, and, and I mean, we were on either WebEx or Adobe. I don't want to drop names here, but I mean, whatever platform, people were not so familiar with it. Now, we, I remember the first webinars we arranged. I mean, we managed to get you know hands the weight on one side, uh, uh, Unicamp in Brazil, top three or five institutions in Brazil, the president and another leader from Mexico, super high level. Five minutes, three phone calls, and boom! It was yeah. You can count on me. What time? Twelve o'clock. All right, I'll make it. So. That personal commitment of, you know, doing something for the community was really quite impressive. Uh, and to engage people in so many discussions, I, I had the chance to, to moderate some of those sessions or, or, or be part of them. And, and normally you work on like 8 months prior to something like that because of agendas of travel and so on and now because of the transition and just i'm i'm sitting in my room <laughs> right now basically uh, with my temporary office uh, <laughs> and, and and people have uh, been just very very keen you know to to open their their time and 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 feel that they could contribute and so that's on the speaking side and then on the you know part participant side forget about my 25 or 35 participants. We had webinars with 800 or even 1200 participants one time. So of course, I mean, with high ends and lows, I guess April, May was a bit more different. Now there's a, a multiplicity of those and you need to filter it down because you can be over solicited But that, that's how I felt the the, the solidarity, I mean, we always talk about the community and the knowledge community and those who meet at EIE, we'll meet at API, we'll meet at CHI, we'll meet at NAFSA, EIE, and we, I mean, we're colleagues, but there's some, some level of friendship. And I, I guess in our own, you know, uh, confining and the situation being a bit stuck at home, there was that human, you know, deep desire to stay connected and, 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 and to commit and, and contribute to the community.
0: Yeah, and again, back to that agility question, you know, or that agility point. It is amazing now how quickly things can come together um, online in ways that were certainly not possible in person, but as you say, that need for us to, to meet and connect has been really fascinating to watch uh, as we've gone through these, these recent months. Um, so the uh, podcast experience that we have here is not meant to last for months. It's a short conversation with a you know special guest like you. And of course, we could talk for ages about different kinds of developments in higher education across the Americas. Um, but if we were to ask you to distill some ideas down, some key ideas for our audience of European higher education colleagues, I wonder if there are you know some short number of points that you think would be interesting for our our largely European-based um, listeners to know and to think about when it comes to developments in, in higher education across the Americas.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll make a parallel. I think one of the strengths of Europe is your capacity to work as a region, independently of the differences, and some countries are in a super open and public higher ed system. Others are mixed, private, others are completely different. Still, we can find those forums where there are strategies being discussed together, either at institution level with EIE type of organizations or at the policy level with uh, the uh, uh, EU and stuff. So uh, maybe Latin America is a bit not behind, but not as organized because of other reasons, languages, disparity, and and so on. But things are starting to happen at that macro level. And, And one example, I mean, we've been responsible for CAI, the Conference of the Americas on International Education. Uh, and now we're moving into the seventh edition. So although IOHE is 40 and you guys are, are 30, in terms of conferences, you're way ahead with 30, I guess, and we're at number seven. We run it every second year because of the capacity to, of, of many countries that have limited uh, income and so on to to, to travel. But the, the Conference of the Americas is that one single platform where you can find all countries. So basically, I guess. An invitation to European colleagues that are keen on exploring their partnership. there's a lot to be shared between Europe and Americas Last year, for example, we had a great uh, session with past president Sabine Pendle. we were curious to learn about best practices in terms of our, you know the Syrian case for example, our refugees were moving uh, or basically walking to certain countries and what was the role of hosting countries to get those you know engage in their system so so we had the Norway, Austrian, and other cases, because we were facing a situation with Venezuela that was now also walking with Venezuelanos walking out of the countries, landing in Colombia, in Peru, and Chile, and how they could react. So we, those kind of unique discussions can happen, and there's so much to be learned from that. And, and CAI objective is basically to get that, put that platform out there for discussion. So uh, our event is in October next year, it will be a hybrid event, so it's vir- virtual and maybe face to face, depending. We'll monitor the kind of a, the, the the sanitary conditions and so on. But if. Your audience is not yet familiar with CAI, which is a smaller conference. I mean, those who came to Bogota last year were quite excited about about the the, the outcomes and the variety of of, of countries that are there. Uh, so, uh, I'd I'd like to put that as a, as a first point, some kind of an invitation, because we we, we are keen to reinforce the partnership with EIE and some specific countries. Many of the study in brands were there last year, uh, and, and we just hope to to extend that as as a joint platform and actually we're having that discussion globally together with api for example the next api will be held in canada with that idea of bridging oceans and regions like how can you link asia with latin america well vancouver is right in the middle so some go west some go up and 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 they'll meet so we're very keen on 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 ensuring that as we keep working on our national and sub-regional structure, those kind of macro platforms can be doors uh, for those interested in in diversifying their, their internationalization strategy
0: very exciting the the interregional dynamics really are something to watch and i think will be uh complicated you know in in the coming period because of what we've been experiencing this year yep. with the challenges of, of connecting but um that doesn't mean that they still shouldn't be you know highly prioritized and developed in really interesting ways and very exciting to learn about all the ways that you're trying to push that agenda forward david it's always such a pleasure to speak with you thank you so much for taking the time to join us
1: No thanks to you, Laura. It was uh, nice to reconnect and and we're uh, more than keen to to continue those conversations with with your audience. So, merci.
0: Once again, that was David Julian, Secretary General of the Inter-American Organization for Higher Education, as well as Executive Director of the Conference of the Americas on International Education. This conversation clearly only scratches the surface on a very diverse world region at a time of immense disruption, but we hope you've enjoyed getting a taste of some of the key issues in play in the Americas at the moment. If you're enjoying the EIE podcast, we hope you'll like and share it widely on social media. You can subscribe to the series via any of your preferred podcast platforms or visit our website to explore the full series. We can be found online at eaie.org. Our next podcast will be published on Wednesday, November 25th, 2020, when our attention will turn to Africa's internationalization agendas, another exploration of extremely interesting regional dynamics coming your way there. In the meantime, and as always, your input is much appreciated. Please send feedback, suggestions, and ideas for guests or topics to info at EAIE.com. Thank you again for joining us and we look forward to coming at you with a new episode in the EAIE podcast series very soon.